Welcome to the School of Calisthenics podcast with your hosts, Tim and Jacko. It's podcast time again, Tim. So that means it must be Wednesday and we have got a treat for everyone today with Matt Schifferly, even think I pronounced that correctly, if I'm not wrong, from the Red Delta Project on the Scorecard Tennis Podcast. Yeah, we really enjoy this one. Matt brings a really a couple of really insightful points to the conversation. Lots of really good practical takeaways. And I, I learned something in this one. It was really good to spend the time having a chat with him and, uh, and take some, own, some things in my own training, um, as well as obviously it's going to hopefully benefit you guys as well. I have even gone away and implemented a couple of things into my training week. Do you have a couple of movement snacks this week? I okay. have had a couple of movement and strength snacks and you'll find out all about how you can implement them into your training and you're easily into your day uh, if you listen all the way through to the end of the podcast. So a nice little calisthenic specific, lots of practical takeaways. This one's going to change your training a little bit. Enjoy it. It's Matt Schifferly on the School of Calisthenics podcast. Jacko, roll the jingle. So yes, it's another podcast with Tim and Jacko, and this week we are super excited to be joined by Matt Schifferly, who is an absolute monster and wealth of information and knowledge in calisthenics, and we are super excited to pick his brain and start to just chew some fat around bodyweight training and see what advice and suggestions and recommendations he can also provide to the, to the audience. And we, we, did, we did a podcast with Matt recently, had a great conversation, so we're looking forward to the next 35 minutes or so to pick his brains. Awesome. Hey guys, welcome. Uh, thrilled, absolutely thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for that fantastic introduction. <laughs> I think Tim was, you gave us such a great introduction. Tim was trying to go one up on you from... Uh, I felt the pressure. Um, so yeah, no, if uh, people, uh, this is Matt from the Red Delta Project. We were on his podcast uh, recently and you can, uh, we'll put some details where they can find that. We'll talk about that later. But um, Matt, just for those people that maybe, uh, you know, the one person that hasn't listened to your podcast before or come across you um, on social media or big on YouTube, um, just a little bit of a background um, on, on yourself and how you got into calisthenics. And um, I wanted to just, there was a thing on your website saying that your mission is to make diet and exercise perfectly fit your life rather than compromise it. And I felt that that's a, a nice talking point and sort of presumably fits into into your background. So if you could just open up with, sure. with that. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in a weird place in time uh, in upstate Vermont in like the late 80s, early 90s, and I got hit with the fitness bug quite early because like a lot of people, I was like skinny, weak, last picked, all that sort of thing. So I got really interested in saying, well, how do I make myself stronger? How do I get into fitness? But at that time, like nobody would ever like work out. Like there were no gyms, uh, there was no internet, there wasn't really any information. So I was kind of figuring this stuff out on my own. And over the course of all through like grade school, high school, and even college, I always had this real burning desire to exercise and improve my diet and everything for the sake of getting stronger. But I always kept running into lifestyle challenges, one right after another, where I couldn't get to a gym reliably, I couldn't find the time, I couldn't get access to the foods I wanted. So throughout most of my training career, I was always saying like, you know, if if life would just all work perfectly for me and everything would be in alignment, then I would be in the best shape ever because I was always motivated, but it was so hard for me to use that motivation. And roughly when I was about 30 years old, I started to 
take a different approach to my approach to diet and exercise, where instead of trying to focus on the things that supposedly were the most effective and everyone's like, this is the best type of training and stuff. I just started to focus more on what was necessary. Like if you wanted to uh, get leaner or if you wanted to build muscle, what was the, ne the necessary physiological process for making that happen? And what I discovered from that was the physiological processes are always in uh, action. Everybody's always got their heart beating. Everybody's got protein synthesis happening. So once I understood the natural processes that were responsible for these things, then I was free to use whatever methods I had available at the time. So if I didn't have access to a gym, well, what kind of exercise could I do that, that didn't require a gym or require equipment? And that's where I started to fall into calisthenics training. That's where I started to fall into more of a flexible, healthy eating approach rather than a strict dogmatic approach to dieting. And what I found was that having more of this uh, principle-based approach to diet and exercise gave me the freedom to do whatever I could do or whatever I wanted to do. And not only did it not compromise the results, but the results were way more effective, but also a lot more enjoyable and a lot more uh, or easier to maintain. So that was where Red Delta Project came from, was let's work with what you've got. Let's work with focusing on the principles that are responsible for what you want. And calisthenics is one of the most delta methods. And I use the word delta because delta represents being able to use something that has a very low uh, cost, less time, less money, less energy and stuff, but a very high return on benefits. So calisthenics was extremely delta, meaning I didn't need a gym, I didn't need equipment, I didn't need a whole bunch of time and you know, 20 different exercises for the chest and stuff. It was something I could do anytime, anyplace, anywhere. And that gave me the freedom to train much more intensely and much more consistently. And that was over 10 years ago now, and I've just been running with it ever since. It's been a hell of a journey. And what's your approach around your calisthenics training been? If you sort of specifically gone after quite focused movements you wanted to achieve muscle ups human flags or have you taken a sort of a broader approach in terms of just using body weight in different ways to build a bigger base and foundation of, of lots of different types of patterns and movements mm -hmm. so my approach to calisthenics is what i've recently started to call grind style which is basically when i was into strength training before i discovered calisthenics i was very much into the classic kind of bodybuilding-esque approaches. Like I loved weight machines. I loved isolation exercises. I loved a lot of things that, you know, tap the muscle from every angle, that sort of thing. But it's very tedious. It costs a lot of energy and a lot of time and you need a ton of equipment and stuff. So when I discovered calisthenics, I came across two resources at the same time. One was the progressive nature of calisthenics from like convict conditioning. And the second one was suspension training, uh, which TRX had just come out, um, Monkey Bar Gym and Lifeline came out with their Jungle Gym XT. So those two things together combined to an approach where I started to think, well, can I take the same basic concepts and idea of working out on machines and free weights in a bodybuilding kind of program and just transport it over into a body weight style. And I would literally take programs that I had that I would have in uh, bodybuilding magazines and stuff, and I'd say, all right, this is the program. Can I do the equivalent 
of movement patterns with body weight training, same reps and sets and everything. And so that's kind of been the basis for my approach to calisthenics is simulating free weight and machine based movements, but with body weight training and progressive uh, calisthenics exercises to still get the same situation in the muscle, the same stimulus, but having the freedom and the flexibility and convenience of calisthenics training. Uh, so you don't see a whole lot of things that are more these days like the calisthenics skills methods on Red Delta Project. Like I don't really do much muscle ups, levers, planches, that sort of thing, just because you don't really have a planche weight machine. <laughs> you don't have a, a muscle up free weight exercise kind of thing. So I've always just taken the free weight or machine equivalent and then transported it over to calisthenics. And that's still kind of the foundation of how I approach my body weight training. Yeah. So, um, in terms of, sorry, in terms of your, um, <laughs> oh, here's, here's a, 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 a bit of a, a curveball question. If you did like, so one of the things that you you've talked about is that, that it doesn't require lots of equipment. It doesn't require lots of time. You don't need to have a gym. If you, um, for argument's sake, had all the time in the world, had an amazing gym and it didn't cost you anything and you had all the luxuries of of what that would provide, mm -hmm. would you still choose to train the way you do with calisthenics and bodyweight training because you see some other benefits or would you, with all the time and, and the equipment available to you, would you actually use more of a gym, a normal gym-based program? Not a whole lot. Um, when I moved out here to Colorado about six years ago, I did get a job in a very big gym with a ton of high-end equipment. And for a short period of time, I was like, well, what do I want to do? Like, maybe I'll go a little bit more into the older style of training that I used to do with a lot of machines, a lot of uh, leverage-based machines and heavy squats and stuff. But I just kept coming back to the calisthenics training because I just felt like I got so much more out of it. And it wasn't just from a strength side of things. It was because when I first got into calisthenics training, I figured, well, I've been working out with free weights and machines and stuff. I should be able to knock this stuff out, no problem. <laughs> I was amazed at just how many aspects of my own fitness I had been long neglecting, uh, what I call the softer qualities. So sure, I could make a muscle contract, but could I make my leg work in a coordinated way to stabilize my body on one leg? Could I uh, use a, a handstand movement? Do I have mobility? Do I have stability? Do I have coordination? All of these things that I gained from calisthenics because they're a necessity in calisthenics training, I discovered that I was sorely lacking because my approaches with using things like the weight machines and stuff, it didn't require it nearly as much. So because I was neglecting it, that's where a lot of my aches and pains and injuries and stuff were originating from. So when that stuff was available to me uh, again, and it was all around me all the time, I still found myself saying, you know, I'd really rather just do some dips on a set of gymnastics rings. I'd really rather practice uh, dive bomber pushups because they're better on my shoulders. I feel them more on my shoulders than an overhead press with barbell. And because of that, that's still my general MO. It's not because I feel I have to do calisthenics. It's just I feel I get so much more out of it and I get more benefit than if I used more of my older conventional bodybuilding style methods. 
Yeah. Yeah. We always feel that there's that, some of those things that you're describing there about calisthenics training, that when you take away the sort of isolation training that sort of bodybuilding might use, and you're actually talking about training and integrating multiple muscle groups in the body and what we, we get so much more out of it. And we also find that, um, for whatever reason, it's also seems to be a whole lot more fun. Um, you tend to be learning how to move in a slightly different way or a, a learn a new move or whatever it may be, or try a new exercise out that gives you a sense of satisfaction and enjoyment that's different to just, oh, I did a little bit more weight than I did last week or last month. Because um, mm-hmm. we've, all, we've all lifted weights um, in the past parts of various different types of training. But um, yeah, we've, we're... We share that same that share that same thought. Yeah. In terms of, I wanted to ask you because um, on the, looking at your, we haven't met in person, but looking on your website and stuff, like I said to Tim, he's a pretty big dude, <laughs> um, and interested to know like what was your what what what's your sort of like uh, body weight and, and and height now? What was what were you like? What was your body composition like when you started? Because we get a lot of questions from people saying. You know they're not sure whether they've uh, whether they can still build muscle using just body weight training, and we all know the answer sort of to that. But just to give a little bit of context from your own point of view, sure. So I'll give you my my general context from when I started because when I got into strength training, I came to it pretty late after being an endurance athlete in college. So in college, oh, wow. I was about 155 pounds at 510, which I'm I'm 510, 59 and a half, depending on. Uh, the soles of my so, so that's the same height as me what's yeah. that in kilos i'm not very good at pounds Do you know what that is oh kilos? gosh don't ask it's not a lot how many was it oh, 155 um, it's not a lot yes yeah, so just over half yeah so roughly yeah. about half yeah 80 uh, so I think it's like 155 pounds in college so then i started to do strength training um because i worked in an equipment store uh, I didn't have access to a gym. I first time I actually got access to weight equipment, I actually worked in a store that sold it. So I'd go in, in early and work out on like floor models and stuff. And I put on about 10 to 15 pounds of muscle on that. So I was about 170 uh, from working out with weights. And then when I got into calisthenics, I got myself up to um, 185 and on sometimes I'm, I'm close to 190 depending on how I'm feeling. Uh, you know, I'm pretty stable. I mean, I'm at like 185 almost every minute of every day. If I know sometimes people are like, oh, my weight really fluctuates. I don't think I've seen the scale anything other than 184 or 186 in the longest time. Uh, lately, I've been getting a little bit bigger though. Um, couple of changes I've made in both my training and my diet so I'm getting closer to 190 and that's the first time I've actually been putting on some weight in about three or four years now but is that you trying to put on some lean mass there Matt is that the objective of your training a little bit more a little bit more I've I've learned a, a few things that were kind of holding me back and my approach now the grind style approach has gotten a lot more refined where I used to have the old approach like I used to have on machines where I figured, well, just work yourself silly. (laughs) Like just make the muscle work really hard and push yourself to a high degree of fatigue, maybe to muscular failure. And there you go. And and then, and just eat a whole lot. And it got me to 185, but it, 
hit, it plateaued pretty quickly at that point. And I was pr pretty pleased with that. I mean, most people at the time when I started getting into calisthenics were giving me the whole, uh, you can't really build muscle with calisthenics. And then after a few months, they'd see me and they'd be like, Matt, you look great. Holy smokes, <laughs> what are you doing? I'm like, calisthenics, you know that stuff you said didn't work? Yeah, it's working. And, uh, but one of the things that I've been learning especially over the past six months is that so much of the ability to build muscle or just get results in general isn't even in the method itself. Um, it's not so much in what do you do? Is it calisthenics? Is it weights? Is it free weights? Is it high volume? Is it low volume? Instead, it's, as you guys know from your education basis, how good are you at doing the actual exercises? How proficient are you? The proficiency of your training is where the bulk of your results comes from. So when I was always just trying to work myself silly and saying, I'm just going to make my muscles work hard until I feel like I'm going to collapse. That was fine uh, for a bit because at first you'll always make progress going from nothing to something on the hard work scale. But eventually you just can't scale hard work. You just can't work more. And even if you find a way to work more, it comes with an exponentially increasing cost to your lifestyle, to your joints, to your nervous system, and so on. So over the past several months, with the grind style method coming about, it's more of a way of learning how to improve the proficiency of basic movement patterns and learning how to use the muscles better. And that's been a huge game changer for me and not only helping me break out of that plateau, but it's also been very uh, effective at helping me just enjoy the training a lot more. So I guess, it, it, just to dig into that a little bit, Matt, I'm thinking that you're talking from that perspective of understanding how to utilize the muscle more. We're talking about being able to utilize and contract more of the muscle more effectively, therefore activate more fibers. So you often hear bodybuilders will talk about really feeling like squeezing a muscle while they're, when they're training. And, and that's a similar approach of trying to get the most amount of, of um, intensity out of that lift as you can by really focusing on contracting everything that you can. Mm -hmm. Is that one thing that I've found with, with calisthenics and, and the idea of trying to put on mass is like, I've, I feel like it's a little bit of a self limiter at times. And I think what you're saying really makes a lot of sense in terms of how you go about trying to change um, physique and, and body composition. But it's almost a bit of a trade-off. Is like you say, I, I can't get away with doing an infinite amount of work because my body just starts to break down when I try and start to train at the intensity that I feel like I need to and then the volume that I need to from a, from a mass development or muscle development perspective. So I end up just kind of finding myself sitting in this middle ground of wanting to still maintain proficiency within skills and being able to keep continuing to be able to do different movements, learn new things, but then also get volume in and then also stay healthy and injury free, particularly around sort of shoulders and elbows. Mm -hmm. Is there anything there that sort of resonates with what your approach is about in terms of the neural side of, of training? And, and, and what do you think the potential is there of, of being able to, to sort of change physique um, from, from your approach as opposed to what we might have seen, like you said before, in terms of volume? And, and, and I guess the, the, the context of that is, is there only so big that a calisthenics athlete is going to get based on the type of training that we do? Because you can't just isolate the hell out of one muscle. Yeah, the proficiency really is the way to break out of that limitation. Um, for the most part, whenever someone comes across a limitation, it's in their training, a lot of it comes down to their skills and proficiency at it. Um, because you talk to anybody about their skill in doing something, 
in life, whatever it is, whether they're in sales, whether they're an artist, whether they're an athlete, and anybody who has a very skill-based approach to their profession or their hobbies will always say, yeah, no matter how good I get, I know I can always get better. I'm always working on improving something. And if you have that attitude, you always know you're never at your limit. But what ends up happening most of the time, and especially when people are trying to build muscle, is they hit the limit of their proficiency and they feel like it's their physiological limit, like it's their genetic limit. And they think, well, I guess that's it. That's as far as I can go with calisthenics or that's as far as I can go for my body type or size or, or whatever, not realizing that they're being limited because they don't know what new things to work on, what to improve upon. And as the little saying I always give is, is amazing. The more proficient I get, the better my genetics get or the calisthenics <laughs> get. And I just give myself always a, a point of reference when people say, oh, you know, you can only get so big and strong with calisthenics and stuff. It's like, well, how many one-arm push-ups can you do? And nine times out of 10, the answer is none, you know, or maybe like two. And I'm like, talk to me when you can do 100. And then, <laughs> and then they're like, what, 100? That's insane. I'm like, I, can you imagine how strong you would be if you get to that? And even then, if we were like, well, I got five. I'm like, good, now like hang on to a weight plate. Like you have something you can do for five pounds, five reps, adding five pounds to it is going to feel like a lot of weight. And so there's always another level. There's always another step with anything that's skill-based. There's no limitation. The only limitation we have is our own perception and our awareness of where that limitation is. So recognizing that it's a self-imposed limitation rather than a limitation of the method or the approach is the first step in breaking out of that plateau and excelling and going beyond what you think is currently uh, possible. Yeah. Now, I guess we it just... It reminds me of, um, we did a podcast with Phil Learney where he talked about progressive overload in any sort of walk of life and certainly obviously to, to training. And that's essentially what we're talking about, that you've just described there finding a way to, to allow there to be some progressive overload in your training. And it made me think of a silly sort of uh, analogy that, I don't know, for whatever it popped into my mind uh, that brought it home to me. It was going, what, the argument around like weights, like often it's easy to to provide progressive overload if someone's doing weight training just add a little bit more weight but what happens when you've used up all the weight in the gym say for instance then you've got to find a different way to provide that overload and that is going to be the way you're going to do that is you're going to manipulate the your, your body angle or the shapes that you're going into to make that then harder or you you know the example you gave of the push-up you just simply we're going to go on one arm rather than having two points of contact for, or through the hands um i just think yeah i think that as a when people are thinking about whether something is better than another, whether it's calisthenics or whether it's weight training or a different form of training, as you say, it's understanding how do I create progressive overload if I want to keep improving and keep developing strength um, and being how how effective am I doing something. I had a guy actually in the, the gym today said to me, he was like, oh, I'll follow you guys on school cast. And it's, uh, thinking this, that, the, the, and I didn't, I didn't give him like a, a sell on what we were doing in terms of calisthenics. I basically said to him, it probably wasn't a very, wasn't a very good, um, it was an opportunity for a sale, but I didn't really, uh, actually what I said to him was, well, it's not necessarily like, if you do it right, it can be very effective and it can be, it can be, there are other, all these other benefits to what you're currently doing with your, with your weight training machines. 
But equally, like anything, you can do it wrong. Like doing the thing that you're doing, the, the better you can do it. And then like you're saying, the more the more proficient I can be, the more effective I can be with the, the exercise that I choose. That's what's going to determine whether it's successful or not, not the exercise itself. And I think that can be something difficult for people to, well, probably difficult to get our head around, but more because then all of a sudden the responsibility goes back to you, the, the person that's training, yeah. rather than, me asking, going, Matt, what are the three exercises I need to do? And you going, well, it's these three. And I go, great. So I'm going to do those three. And the responsibility is with you because you've told me what to do. And that takes it away from me. Whereas when you go, well, just make sure that you're doing the stuff you're doing. You choose what you do. Just do it correctly with these protocols. Then all of a sudden, it's the responsibility is back to me, which I think is a good thing. Um, and people should embrace that rather than sort of try and search for something else. Yeah. I've been crunching some numbers, Tim, whilst you asked that oh, last question. Just for those people, because pounds, either uh, kilos or stones mean something to me. So um, your 155 pounds is 70 kilos when you when you say you started, which is, uh, is, is I remember being 70 kilos. I was very small. <laughs> and we're similar height. And then when you're up to one, 190 is 86 kilos, which is, that's, good. Um, that's yeah. a big, that's probably about two and a half stone for people that work in old money. Um, yeah. which is a serious amount of uh, muscle mass to put on. So just to give, you know, proof in the pudding of what you've said um, and just to give people that context of we're not talking about one putting on one or two kilos. You're talking about a serious amount of um, muscle development when you've changed from being an endurance athlete to hate training yeah. now. The, the funny thing that I, I still get this every once in a while because I did have like almost 10 years or so where I was doing strength training with weights and it was – various types like it was bodybuilding style where you know i'd have like 15 different chest exercises in a workout and stuff and then i kind of gravitated a little more towards powerlifting style where bench squat and dead were my primary moves and i had some supplemental stuff in there but when i switched over to calisthenics it was about a three or four month transition and then it was just all calisthenics, not because I had anything against the weights, but just because, again, I, I liked the calisthenics more. I, I enjoyed it more. I felt like I just got more out of it. And even now, like I've been doing this for over 10 years now, but people will say, well, the reason why you have the muscle that you have is because you did all the, the weightlifting back in the day. And that makes me scratch my head. I'm like, well, if calisthenics isn't effective, then I would have lost it all. Yeah. because if it's effective for maintaining it's effective for building it like you can't take strength training you can't take like someone and say all right you were a bodybuilder now you're not going to do any weightlifting and only run marathons and do endurance work for the next 10 years do you think they would be able to still hang on to their muscle that they have and the answer is of course not once the stimulus is gone you lose it pretty quick so you have to maintain that physiological stimulus somehow and anything that maintains result is a maintain, maintenance or progression of the stimulus, regardless of what it is or how you're doing it. But I just think it's such a curious thing where people are like, well, he's only got the muscle because he did strength training like <laughs> 12 years ago or something. It's gone. How do you tend to break up your workouts, Matt? Do you sort of, again, just to, instead, how would you structure a typical training week? Yeah, so I like to go with a bit of a, a three-way split, uh, not because I don't like full body. It's just I like to do something most every day. So uh, the current split, what I've got going on now is I have day one is pushing and pulling movements. So I've got 
some sort of progressive push-ups, dips, if I feel like it, rows and pull-ups. Um, my uh, second day is what I call my support chains. The grind style method uses uh, tension chains along the body. It's not muscles, it's not movements, it's tension chains, which is kind of like a, a combination of both. So the support chains are the flexion, extension, and lateral chains, or for the more classic anatomical perspective, it's the anterior, posterior, and lateral uh, chains. So that's usually some sort of like leg raises, and suspension work, uh, plank, uh, bridges of some variation, and then some sort of like side planks uh, or potentially human flag type of variations. Um, so that's day two, and then day three is just legs. I, I like to keep that in one solid day because I like to put a lot of effort and energy into that. So I've got currently shrimp squats and sissy squats because I'm trying to build up my quads a bit more for ski season and some jumping uh, after that as well. So that's usually typically how I, I structure it around is those six chains. It's push, pull, squat, flexion, extension, and lateral. And I'll just kind of rearrange those over a two or three day span uh, and just repeat it over the course of the week. So you might be getting sort of a couple of doses of those sessions in a week if you're sort of doing stuff most days. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Whilst we know you're probably really enjoying the podcast, there's something else that we think you will also really enjoy. And that is the virtual classroom. If you're a beginner, we have got an eight-week free beginner's program designed to help you start your calisthenics journey where you're going to learn how to move better, get superhuman strong, and have a lot of fun along the way. If you're ready to take your training to the next level and learn some of the iconic calisthenics movements like a frog to handstand or a muscle up, then inside the virtual classroom you are going to find all the training programs and educational information that you need. But rather than keeping you from the podcast for any longer than necessary, head over to schoolofcalisthenics.com where you're going to find a bodyweight training resource which is different to anything else available anywhere. Tim, I think they're ready to get back to the podcast. I've got um I've got a question in from from a listener um it was actually uh sent through uh today and it wasn't necessarily specifically for for you but I thought it'd be a good one it's it's a difficult one to answer let's see what Tim's thoughts are on it as well um but but it, it comes down to what you said initially um and around what that mission um is the you know that was on on your website saying that it, about getting exercise to perfectly fit into your life rather than compromise it. Um, and so listen, he says he's, he's, he was asking for, for tips and help on how to um, fit training into his day. Um, and his day goes like this. He gets up at 5.30 to walk the dog um, and then gets ready for work at 6.15, gets into work for eight, comes home um, about seven o'clock, puts the kids, uh, does bath, bath and bedtime with the kids and then his bedtime for him. He was like, any suggestions on where, 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 how I fit training in? And I was thinking, crikey, like maybe at the weekend? I don't know. What <laughs> would, how would you, but it's, 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 it's quite an extreme example, but I'm sure there's plenty of, there's plenty of fathers and mothers out there that have, you know, they're working full time. They've got stuff going on before work, after work. They've got a family yeah. to, to deal with. Um, do you have any practical tips on people how to fit things, fit oh, things in? Well, this is the great thing about calisthenics is that it can be done most any time, any place, anywhere. And I'm much more of a fan of get the movement and activity, like and break it up. Like we've got this idea of a workout, yeah. of a structured time and place, which 
is not a bad thing, but we have to kind of keep in mind that a workout in and of itself is kind of an artificial construct. Like our ancestors and animals and stuff, they don't go throughout the day and then they're like, okay, life, time out, everything stop for an hour or so, nobody bother me, I've gotta go and make my body work really hard and exert myself and then when you're done, you say, okay, life, time in. And some people I think can make that happen, but I certainly can't. Heck, I work in a gym and I don't have the luxury of making that happen all the time. So what I would say is just simply have a rough plan of what you want to do. First, it comes down to what is your goal and then what kind of exercises are, and methods are going to facilitate helping you reach that. And let's take my plan, right? Push, pull one day, support chains the second day, legs the third day. Okay. So he's got walking the dog. Okay. There's there. He's already training there. So that's the other thing is training is just purposeful activity. So when people say, well, where do I start? I'm like, are you moving <laughs> on a day? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I can move. Okay. You're already active. All you got to do to make it go from activity to training is just do it with more of a purposeful intent. That's the only difference between being active and training is you're thinking about how you're doing it. So what I yeah, I'm thinking is, rather than walking the dog, it's lunging the dog. Yeah. <laughs> you imagine <laughs> lunge the whole way around. That'd be naughty. No, no, I've got a dog and doing that at 5.30 in the morning <laughs> is probably the least enticing session I can imagine. Lunging the dog. What are you I'm doing? I'm just, lunging the dog. I'm just offering it up. <laughs> yep. Well, dogs are a great personal trainer because they will wake you up. Yeah, and they want to always walk. Yeah, they're always keen to train a dog. Yep. <laughs> so I would say just get the activity in because how, how much time do you really need to do to get in a set of push-ups? Like 30 seconds, 20 seconds, um, not, not even, you know? Yeah. So I would say find those 15 to 20 second opportunities throughout the day that you can get a little bit of activity in just one set, maybe two sets um, at a time. And you don't need a whole lot because all you're trying to do is stimulate the direction of physiological processes already moving in. So if you want to build muscle, you already have protein synthesis going on. You already have neural adaptation going on. Everything you need to make happen in your body to change your body, it's already happening. It's been happening since the day you were born. All training does is it directs those processes towards a particular goal. So all you have to do is you don't need a workout. You just need to get a few sets in sometime throughout the day. And most of us, if we look at our day, honestly enough, we can find an opportunity for a set of push-ups or a set of pull-ups. If you have like a pull-up bar in your doorway, for example, a buddy of mine used to do three pull-ups whenever he'd walk underneath it. He, wouldn't ne he never did a single workout his entire life. But I said, put that door, put that pull-up bar in your doorway. And most of the time you walk underneath it, just hang from it, get some leg raises and do some pull-ups. And he did the, the math after a few weeks, he was building up the habit. He's like, I'm doing 50 pull-ups a day. Like, how is that happening? I don't ever, I don't work out, but I'm doing more pull-ups in a single day than most of my friends who go and actually go to the gym do because it adds up pretty quick. So find those little opportunities here and there and go with the most basic movement patterns. So in grind style calisthenics, we've got our six chains, but the three movement chains are push, pull, and squat. So when time is really at a short 
uh, premium, I would say just do something pushing, something pulling, something squatting. So for pushing, I would say some variation of a push-up. For pulling, some variation, therefore, of a row, because you're using your flexion and extension chains isometrically, so you're at least getting those. And something where your hips and ankles are getting closer together. So it can be squats, it can be lunges, any variation thereof. So you got three basic movement patterns. They're going to work your whole body to some degree. They've got mobility components. They've got stability components to them. And if you just took one of those a day, so day one is push, day two is pull, day three is squat, and just get that activity in throughout the day whenever you can, it's going to add up. And if you do one set in the morning, one set in the afternoon, one set at night, I mean, it's not going to feel like much. And that's the point. Because a lot of times when people come to that scenario where they're like, I, when am I going to fit in a workout? I don't have any time. It's oftentimes based on this idea that it has to be this big, huge, costly endeavor in order for it to be worthwhile. But remember, training only needs to be a stimulus to produce a result. And a stimulus can happen in a matter of seconds. If you go and hang from a pull-up bar for 10 seconds and try and keep your muscles tight when you're doing that, that's a stimulus. It's 10 seconds, but it's a stimulus that directs the processes that are already happening in your body. So it doesn't need to be a workout. It doesn't need to be something that takes up a lot of time and energy for it to be effective. It just needs to be consistent and it needs to be progressive. And if you've got those two things, you're golden. You're golden, whether you're spending two minutes on it a day or two hours in a day. You'll yeah, I really like one. that. I really like the idea of actually just re um framing how we see training and a workout and we, we often still i can't go to the gym i've not got an hour i've not got an hour and a half so i can't get something meaningful done whereas that idea of if you did your push-ups in the morning and you went three sets of it and, and that's a great thing about calisthenics if you were going to go push and pull on the same day for example and you could go push-ups in the morning okay everyone goes i can do 10 push-ups that's not hard well go back to your previous point about can you do 10 single arm push-ups and then can you get one set done or two sets done before you go and, and like you say if you actually break that time down and you're consistent even if you start bringing in things like clusters and you're going to go four reps 10 sets of a 10 second rest or something like that and you can you can get a lot of work done in in four minutes if you were to work on those kind of variables just packing in some volume mm-hmm. and then bringing in the evening you get home and you go okay cool you can probably do two sets of or three sets of pull-ups before you go to bed your workout's been done but not necessarily having to structure it in a way where i am now going to the gym and i like that you take the way from before we had gyms people never went to the gym <laughs> like it was just they just moved and um people have had good physiques for a long time and yeah. bodybuilding has shaped so much of what popular culture is like about what you need to do to exhaust the muscle to get it to grow um, and when you start flipping that back into a bit more of a functional movement approach it does change a, 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 well i think we've all got to kind of try and rid ourselves of some of the dogma that we've been we've been taught and i'm i think we're probably all guilty of it at yeah. some point yeah no i think um i'm thinking of uh some of the strong when I used to play rugby, some of the strongest and you would say this as well, some of the strongest team you play against would be like the farm the farmer boys. And yeah. like they didn't train, but they just they worked and work meant picking heavy stuff up and moving it and this, that, the other and no counting reps and sets. Not, but yeah. they were strong and um exactly what you said reminds me of um when we had Ollie Frost sort of our movement and mobility expert um the podcast he talked about getting literally away from training and just looking for any like just seeing the whole day as an opportunity to move and he would just you know he's big into his movement and his mobility over strength work but it's the same principle applied he didn't 
He wasn't trying to carve out an hour to do his training session. He was just moving as much as he could from the minute he woke up to when he went to bed. Um, and I just love that um, idea. Um, I personally lo- do enjoy going to the gym to do a session, and yeah. I have got the opportunity to do that. Um, but at the same time, I am bringing more of that into my sort of daily life of just looking for opportunities to move. A lot of the time for me, it's I'm sat at, and a lot of I'm sure people will be able to relate to this. I'm sat at my desk working on the computer and that's a bit of a, someone, someone's just dropped their, uh, dropped their, their, their pine glass game. <laughs> what you guys aren't just upside down all the time, just doing class days. No, it's like, so when we're sat working, I actually just get all horrible and stiff from sat down and actually getting up and using it as just as a break from work mentally as well as physically just starting to move. And that's, we're talking 30 seconds a minute sometimes, not like a big long break, um, but just it's, it's just ways that we can, we can use our bodies more. Do you know one of the things I find that's quite difficult about that? Because I've, I've kind of been through this thought process myself before, is getting prepped for a session. Sometimes you sort of like, when you've been sat down, it's quite difficult to get up and go, do you know what, I'm feeling pretty stiff. To then go into something which is fairly difficult, you, you're then sort of going, well, do I need to do a little bit of preparation? That's going to increase the amount of time. And I don't want that to sound like an excuse, but it's a genuine no, sort no, of thing. Yeah. Like If I'm going to go into ten, a set of one-arm push-ups, I kind of don't want to do that, just like having been sat in my pterodactyl or, or T-Rex position in front of my computer for the last two hours. You got any thoughts on that, Matt? Yeah, a lot of times being able to break up activity throughout the day uh, is a much more holistic and natural way of going about it because your body doesn't know what a workout is. It just knows physical activity. And a lot of times when people are doing, quote, a workout, what they're doing is they're coming to a scenario that's an artificial construct. It's kind of like, a, I always say, a workout to activity is like zoo is to animals. It's taking something that's normal, natural, and organic and putting it into something that's fake, artificial, and constructed, which doesn't automatically make it a bad thing, but we do want to recognize that it has qualities about it that treat our body in a way that it's not inherently designed for. So our bodies are made to be moving throughout the day and moving, not necessarily working, but moving throughout the day. So if we've been sitting and we're sedentary for most of the time, even a couple days on end. And then we're going to go and we're going to throttle the hell out of ourselves with really intense and stressful activity. We're often told, oh, you got to do all this warm up and you got to really warm up. And it's not so much preparing you for physical activity. It's more of helping you recover from hours of being sedentary. So when we break up activity throughout the day a little bit, we have a little bit of, I think, um, uh, oh gosh, who is, who is it? The term movement snacks uh, was thrown around. You know, do a little bit here and there. It doesn't have to be us, like big arm circles kind of thing. Like when I train my clients and we start off and I'm like, okay, circle your arms and twist and lift up your knees and stuff. I do that with them. And when you do little things like that throughout the day, it builds up and it's still progressive. But what you find is that when it comes time to actually move and do an actual workout, you're pretty much ready to go. Like you're not stiff, you're not tight and your IT band's not killing you and stuff. And sure, you still wanna warm up your metabolic process if you're gonna do something aerobic. You still wanna warm up your nervous system if you're gonna do stuff that's heavy. But for the most part, when you're physically active throughout the day to some degree, when it's time to throw down in a hard workout, you're 90% there. And it doesn't take you this long duration warm up of I gotta be on the treadmill, now I'm gonna stretch, and then I got mobility work, and then I've got foam rolling. 
I don't do any of that stuff. Not because I'm against it. It's just I don't need it. I don't have a, a use for it kind of thing. And yeah, some days I get up and I'm stiff and, and tighter, which is why I'm a big advocate for try and get some sort of activity in as early as you can in the day. Just arm circles, twisting, get down into a deep squat. One of the things I do is in the morning when I'm like making my lunch and preparing stuff for the day is I'll squat down to the produce tray in my refrigerator. And I just kind of sit there for about 10 seconds. I'm getting my apple and everything like that. And I stand up and it doesn't look like much. People wouldn't even recognize it as quote training, but just that can be enough to tell my hips open up, tell my legs, get some stability. So then when I'm ready to do my workout later on, I'm starting to get to the point of, all right, let's go. And my legs are like, yeah, we're ready. Let's go. And it, it's not something that needs a long warm up. Yeah, no, 100%. We talk all the time about the said principles, but it's specific adaptation to imposed man's. And if you're, if you're constantly using ranges of motion and telling your body and your brain like, well, we need to access this and we need to access that, it's not going to close up. All What happens for a lot of us that spend a lot of time sitting, all we're doing is telling ourselves, if you spend more time sitting than we do anything else, you're telling your brain and your body, this is a really good shape or this is a shape I want you to get good at and mm -hmm. be efficient at and the way it does that is it tightens up through and you just get used to being in that shape so yeah no 100 percent. i'm well on board with the more the more time we can spend out of the shapes you don't want to be in and spend more time in the shapes that you do want to be in then you're you're going to be like you say ready to go more often and we we're talking recently about uh, movement preparation work if particularly if people are trying to improve range of motion so that you know they're trying to actually improve their shoulder flexion for their handstands as an example that they, they should see over a period of time that gradually that's getting better and they have to do less to the point where you're at, where you're going, actually, I'm ready to go anytime because I'm constantly using the ranges of motion that I, that I want and that I currently have and therefore not being restricted and having to go through um, a huge, huge warm-up and all these different things. If you have to go through all of those every single time, you've been doing that for the last six months, it means you're not being effective with what you're doing because we should see, so just like your strength, you should gradually get stronger. We should see gradual improvements in our range of motion if we're being effective. So that's a way to sort of monitor ourselves and our progress. Absolutely. Uh, you said something recently, Tim, about a phrase, training is testing and testing is training. So almost, if you're seeing that improvement gradually going on, then you're doing, you're doing something right. If you're not, then it means that you're not doing something right. I think the hardest thing is just with some of this stuff is trying to break away from the norm of just going like, you know, I find nutrition is fairly easy to, to sort of change in some ways because you've got those doses of like, well, I need to eat. So when I eat, I'm going to make a better choice. Whereas movement is like, unless you get into the frame of mind of I need to move, like yeah. in these doses, like you say, these snacks throughout the day, it's actually very easy to go a long period of time without moving because you don't have to. Your brain's quite happy sat in a chair, <laughs> like in front yeah. of a computer, but you've got to get on the front foot and sort of take this head on. So mate, I think there's some brilliant um, takeaways for people in there. So thanks for sharing your knowledge, Matt, on that. It's been, uh, I think, really insightful for people. We really get a lot of value out of it. Yeah, we've, and you know everything you've said really relates to a lot of, uh, our core audience shall we say that are are in that in that position where they're trying to see how they can fit training into busy lives and and so some of those takeaways will be will be uh, will be really useful and really helpful for people so um thank you so much for that and those of you that were listening um if you if you have any feedback if you have enjoyed it um please do uh let us know share your comments and whatnot on uh, on social media if you want to ask um matt any questions specifically where can they find you matt where's the best place for basically anything red delta project uh we'll pull it up so red delta project on instagram 
youtube.com and the podcast. That's where you can find anything and you can get ahead of, uh, a hold of me pretty easily uh, at reddeltaproject at gmail.com. Awesome. So Amazing. we will put those so we'll put those links in the show notes so people can uh, click straight through uh, to those. And uh, so Matt, thank you so much for um, coming onto the podcast and sharing sharing a bit of your uh, experience and expertise um, and taking the time out for uh, for the podcast. We and the listeners really really appreciate it. Thank you very much, guys. Uh, this was a real pleasure to be on here and talk to you again. A uh, real real treat. So nothing else to say, but until next time, class dismissed. So thank you so much again for listening. We don't take it lightly that you uh, give up probably an hour of your time to listen to these podcasts, and we really do appreciate that. We hope you got a load of value out of it, guys, and we would, if you did, we would love you to do a couple of things for us. One of them is tell other people and share it if you thought that we were adding some value, and also if you want to, pop over to iTunes or wherever you're listening to this and give us a five-star review. We like five stars. Four stars not as good. Keep it five are the best. Five of your best stars, please. (laughs) And if you would like to find out more about the School of Calisthenics and see the best of everything that we have got, head over to our virtual classroom. You can access it from the website at schoolofcalisthenics.com. And that is where we have got literally, possibly, the best calisthenics resource available anywhere in the world. It's definitely the best one we've done. And on that note, until next week, class dismissed.